0: Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, it'salljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks and enjoy the episode.
1: Whether you're Asian, like South Asian, East Asian, from the Caribbean, whether in the Middle East, it's pretty much something that affects every population of color worldwide.
0: Racism is a global issue, as are colonialism and colorism, all topics that journalists worldwide are working ever harder to bring to the public's attention. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Mira Lingam is a health editor with cnn international she's also the editor of white lies exposing the dangers of skin whitening for cnn's as equals program this new six-month series investigates the world of skin whitening in order to raise awareness of colorism and the idea that lighter skin is best even among people of the same ethnic or racial background Mira, welcome to it's all journalism
1: uh, thank you very much thanks for having me
0: Thank you for being on the podcast, talking to you across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> you're, you're in Britain, I guess. Anyway, so, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you become a journalist? You know, how did you end up at uh, CNN?
1: Well, I mean, I'm one of those weird people that even when I was a teenager, I kind of knew exactly what I wanted to be. Not only did I want to be a journalist, but I wanted to be a science and health journalist specifically. It kind of just brought together two things that I was really interested in. So I've always been really interested in science and everything relating to it, particularly health. And I always enjoyed writing and telling stories. So quite early on, I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. So, I, you know, I did everything I could during school and university to get down that route, wrote kind of magazines, school magazines and university newspapers, that kind of thing. Trained in specifically in science journalism, Imperial here in London do a course in that. And so met a great range of people there. We all kind of learned from each other, buzzed off each other. And then I actually kind of started out in audio in particular, actually. I worked for an audio production company who made kind of science radio programs for the BBC and stayed in that route for a while. And then kind of, you know, in this day and age, you kind of have to be good at everything, don't you? So I started writing a bit more and then found I really enjoyed writing. And so did a bit of that as well for a range of places, including the BBC. Yeah, I kind of eventually just really realized that, you know, science kind of covered a lot. And the more and more I reported on it, the more I realized I really just was interested in the health components. more so. I liked kind of the human elements of health and kind of the personal stories of people affected by various issues relating to health, the relatability of health, the fact that everyone, you know, is unified by their own personal health and concerns about it. So yeah, I actually then went back and uh, retrained in global health in particular, because in my kind of late 20s, I did a lot more field reporting and I was really interested in reporting on health issues in kind of Eastern, and Southern Africa and Asia. And the more I did that, the more I kind of realised I was specifically interested in global health, just to specialise even more. And then, yeah, I went and studied and did a master's in that and that took me to do research in South Africa for a year on tuberculosis. And I ended up reporting on that quite a lot for a range of outlets. And then almost by fate, I feel like I still think this. A friend then passed on details that CNN International were looking for a writer for their global health series. And, you know, that's now what I was focusing on. So I obviously got in touch and started writing for that, you know, did a, a first piece for that series. I got on well with the editor and that's when my CNN journey began, really. And that was in 2014. And I've been there <laughs> in various ways ever since.
0: That's a pretty great journey. It took you a lot of different places. I would say, you know, you, you sort of started off where a lot of people on this podcast do, where they say, oh, you know, I knew from a very first time. There are some people who are like, I, I never thought I would be a journalist. And there are other people who are like, you know, we're doing, you know, doing the paper, doing a newspaper on their kitchen table when they were, were six. So those seem to be the two sort of extremes. You're the first, well, you're not the first science or health reporter we've had on. I admire the fact that you actually identified, not only did you identify that you wanted to be a journalist, but you, you know, focused in on the speciality of what area you wanted to cover. That was something I never figured out. So it took me a long time of being a generalist before I figured out, oh yeah, maybe I start learning something. So tell me how the this idea for the White Lies project that you're doing right now for CNN.
1: So White Lies came about without me. So I kind of, I came on once the series was, it was decided that they wanted to do a series on skin whitening. This is the As Equals team at CNN, which is CNN's gender equality series. So As Equals has kind of, they've, you know, it has these three buckets to it that they've kind of wanted to generally try and focus on, which were about the body and care and climate and how all of these these aspects relating to gender equality. And the idea was always to do special series that focused on a particular issue that needed attention, that, you know, had momentum behind it, was a global issue. And colorism, and within that specifically skin whitening, it's something that's always been quite sporadically reported on, you know, maybe a report comes out or there's a case of somebody that's been harmed by a particular product or something like that. But lately, like the past year or two, there's been a lot of momentum around this. And that's kind of where it was decided that, well, CNN, being the global network that it is, can then build on that momentum and give this even more attention. So the Black Lives Matter movement, that kind of did bring some attention to it, to the issue of colorism and then reporting kind of hit the mainstream after that and then last year a range of companies that make commercial kind of whitening products so L'Oreal and Unilever and Johnson and Johnson they all made announcements that products that they make that are essentially lightning or whitening products they were going to remove the words fair and white and whitening from the names of their products so there was some action already happening around this but not quite enough when you look at the whole issue of skin whitening products and practices. Yeah, the fact that it was starting to get some attention, but there's momentum there. We really thought that if we then kind of bring to light some of the core issues within that, there's real potential for impact. And the main kind of goal of the As Equals series as a whole is impact.
0: I tangentially knew about whitening. And as you said, it was something that sporadically gets reported about so you say that there's momentum of it is this this is sort of the general focus you know with black lives matters and things like that on the idea of race and skin color is that sort of what when you say there's momentum behind it just that because that's in the general discussion right now
1: yeah kind of race and skin color and i think just lately the actual within that the issue of colorism is being talked about more and discussed more and there's more representation of actual skin tones of people of color and that's what we kind of really wanted to focus on because i think i mean people of color are very aware the majority if not all are very aware of colorism it's pretty much been a component of any one of color's life but i think people not of color so most white people have not heard of colorism per se and particularly skin whitening within that but now they're becoming a bit more aware of it and you know friends of mine are now more aware of it and discussing it and so just it is it's in the conversation and it was within the general race conversation but specifically there has been a colorism conversation this past year.
0: Yeah. And I know that in America, there has been, I've heard through history, you know, discussions about colorism within the uh, black community in certain cities where people were sort of, they were comparing the the colors of their skin, saying that they were more legitimate because their skin was lighter, you know, things like that, obviously showing my, you know, as a white person showing my ignorance because I don't I don't deal with it every day, but I do want to learn more about this. So you know one of the things that in the notes that that I was looking through to put together my questions, there's this sort of this idea of the difference between colorism and racism. Can you sort of explain that concept? Yeah.
1: So I mean racism is obviously it's kind of discrimination and acts against specifically you know differences in race and someone's race. but colorism within that, It affects people in the same ethnic group. So it's discrimination and being treated differently because of the tone of your skin colour. With colourism in particular, it's the darker skinned individuals of a particular ethnic group seeing more prejudice or discrimination compared to lighter skin individuals. So yeah, it's that kind of privilege that comes with lighter brown skin, whether you're Black, whether you're Asian, like South Asian, East Asian, from the Caribbean, whether in the Middle East, it's pretty much something that affects every population of colour worldwide, this kind of hierarchy that comes with lighter skin, but within the same ethnic group.
0: So I'm trying to think about this in different ways. It's obviously it's a cultural thing, but it's also like an internal personal thing as well that people people will internalize it and then that sort of decide they need to lighten their skin in order to reach whatever particular ideal they're they're pursuing.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of there's a whole body of research that shows that you know someone's marriage ability which in certain cultures is really important their employability, their general kind of success and attractiveness is linked to, the tone, the lightness of their skin. And, you know, there have been studies that show that kind of lighter skinned people do get better jobs in many countries. There are multiple studies in the US that show that, or better education and therefore better jobs and have more opportunities that way. Our opening story for the series looked at marriage culture in India. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure around getting married there and success is seen and related to getting married. And that's related to you being fairer and more attractive and therefore more likely to get married. So, there's just various research out there that shows that people feel this need, and there's cultural pressures too, and there's a range of reasons for the cultural pressures that people feel this need to be lighter in order to be better, basically. And, you know, it comes down to colonialism, to slavery, and also caste systems in Asia. All of these, you know, they're different. So, that's the interesting thing about it. They've kind of In different regions, you've got these different origins, but the result is ultimately the same, that there's this pressure and privilege that comes with being lighter skinned. So in Asia, and, you know, one reason in some countries is kind of social associations with your kind of standing in society. So if you were an outdoor labourer kind of working the land, you were in the sun more and then had darker skin you know those that who were more wealthy and stayed indoors more they had lighter skin so that's one of the reasons there when it comes down to there's research about slavery that suggests that lighter skinned people were able to work indoors whilst darker skinned slaves had to work outside on the grounds yeah there's just various things like this that all feed into these pressures that people that's how they see themselves so when they look in the mirror if they see themselves as lighter, they then see themselves as more successful, which is sad. You know, that's not how it should be.
0: Now, I know you mentioned some companies in there that had changed the the marketing of their whitening products. I would assume that these are our, our newer organizations. I mean, this is something that's probably gone on for hundreds of years in, in various ways. That, the whitening. Yeah, the whitening because of a, yeah. a, the perceptions. This is not something just happened last week. This is something that's culturally gone on. So you're setting out to do an impactful series. What types of stories are you using to, you know, make impactful stories, I guess?
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, a key goal, which I think we've already managed to do, thankfully, you know, even with me being on this podcast is to get people talking about this issue. Because, you know, conversations have increased around colorism, but have they increased as much around skin whitening in particular. So kind of, just by reporting it and giving attention to really core issues, that's where we want to start. Just get people talking about it by reading the stories, by having events, doing PR around this, you know, having social media. We've got a hashtag fighting whitening, and there are people are using it since the series launched to discuss the issue. We've had people reaching out. So that alone is kind of an initial goal. But then we've kind of broken it down into kind of wanting to expose people talking about the culture and more aware of it and the health harms so we've talked about kind of some of the more commercial products the majority of products being used by people globally are ones that are produced by kind of smaller companies you know based out of a range of countries and these products actually have found by multiple health agencies to contain toxic ingredients like mercury and hydroquinone. There's also our opening story was about the abuse of steroid creams, because one of the side effects of that is lightning of the skin but the other aim is to increase awareness of these health harms and of these products so most people that use the products they don't know that there are these ingredients in them and so just by exposing them and talking about these ingredients we'd hope that people using the products might question what's in their creams or gels and things and you know stop using it so one of the hopes is to reduce the use of harmful products and then the other is to reduce the use through kind of holding authorities and companies to account who are helping promote this activity so the people that make those toxic creams the companies that are allowing those creams to be sold despite you know the Minamata convention sets out that globally mercury levels in cosmetics can't be higher than one part per million of mercury and you know some of these creams were found to have 30,000 130,000 so you know, that is obviously extreme. So just increasing awareness of that is how we want to have some impact. And we want to hold to account the companies making these, you know, the third party sites where a lot of these creams can be sold. And then also, yeah, the poor kind of border control leading to these products being easily available in shops and malls and beauty shops worldwide. So yeah, I I guess I've kind of broken down the impact to being increasing awareness and reducing the use of harmful products as well.
0: And that's that's plenty in a six part series. <laughs> no, I, I mean, because I mean, how do you change these perceptions culturally? I mean, obviously, it's important to raise awareness in, in the, the larger community so that people can recognize that this is a problem. And then by say you know, what's the mandate? The mandate is, well, pressure these companies to stop. Producing these types of creams. And then beyond that is, you know, how do you change the perceptions within the community to, you know, the desire to do this?
1: That is the the hardest one. I think, and even you know, people in my family that I've spoken to, you know, they're like, well, you're not going to change attitudes of everyone in India, are you? Or Sri Lanka. My family are from Sri Lanka. And, you know, of course we can't do that, but can we at least get people talking about it? You know, this lead character in our opening story. That story was about the fact people are using steroid creams to lighten their skin. And, you know, steroid creams should be used for a few, you know, one or two weeks, I think, at a time, short durations. And these are people using them for years on end. And so not only are they causing all these harms to their skin, but they're developing drug dependencies. That was the core part of that story, that there's been this ongoing drug dependency for years and no one's been talking about it or pushing for better enforcement of regulations that are in place to stop that from happening. So, you know, we can't culturally change everyone's views but you know this lead character in this story she went through this and she had all these disastrous effects on her skin she's got permanent side effects from her use of this cream but she's kind of there and being very vocal on the issue being in our story taking part in events people reach out to her in India for help so you know if we can at least get some people thinking about you know why are they doing this is it worth it You know, or even to see the fact that the tide is changing a little bit, albeit a lot slower in, say, Asia and Africa compared to, like, Europe and the US. But... I think we can at least change some people's attitudes towards it, which hopefully will then feed into other people's attitudes. But yeah, realistically, that's why, you know, when we set the goals, we had to try and set things that we actually thought were realistic. And I'm hoping that reducing the use of harmful creams and just getting people talking about it is something that's achievable.
0: Certainly getting it, getting it in front of people so they understand what the, you know the negative cultural effects but also the the actual physical effects that this is negative physical effects it's having on people so ha- have you got any feedback from anyone about this story the stories yeah.
1: So far, yeah. I mean, we've only launched two stories so far, but both of those, I couldn't have asked for them to yet be received better because we've had a lot of interaction on social media. So use of the hashtag to get people talking about the issue of colorism and skin whitening. I've had a lot of people reach out to me just saying how happy they are that CNN's giving this issue some much needed attention. You know, we've had affiliates that have published the story as well in India. So that was also something that we really wanted because, you know, whilst it's great that we have the platform of CNN, we really want affiliates and local outlets to publish these stories too. Because though, you know, the, the people who are most affected, which, you know, many countries are the poorest subsections of populations. The people who are most affected are usually the poorer members of a population and they're going to more likely read you know, a local newspaper or a regional newspaper. So that's one desire with this. And so we did have those affiliates publish it. We had another video that we published on launch about the Beauty World projects in the US. The woman who leads that, Amira Adawe, is brilliant. It was a profile of her work. And it was a really good compliment to the India story because. This looked at the global issue of whitening products and colorism and specifically these toxic products that contain mercury and hydroquinone. And in this kind of six minute video, I feel like we just touched on every issue somehow in a really good way. The producers on that were brilliant. They were so thorough. And then our kind of legal and fact checkers and things, everyone was really thorough. So that video gave attention to this woman's work. And she said that since she's had multiple authorities and organisations from different countries approaching her, asking how they can help test products, because that's what she does. She tests products in different countries to reveal their mercury levels and so on. And then petitions for change from governments or, you know, companies like Amazon and eBay who sell them. She did successfully petition Amazon, for example, and got them to remove products from their site. She's also gotten Congress to give money and funding towards this awareness of this issue in the US. So, yeah, but she's now said that, you know, she's regularly got people reaching out to her to help them. So that in itself is already some impact, which is great. So the stories that we've launched with, I think, are great and they've really set a good scene. Kind of you've got this in-depth look at the issue in India, but then you've got this video that looks at it globally. But now we want to hone in now and get opinions of this issue. So we're hoping to kind of explore attitudes globally around this. We're definitely looking at doing some investigations into particular issues and really focusing in on areas that either can be called out or um, impact can be made by revealing things. So, you know, that's a cool one for us as well really exploring the role of different corporations you know those selling the products those helping marketing them the way things are being marketed still you know there's still a kind of dichotomy in how things are marketed in different cultures you see this big inclusivity in Europe and the US at the moment you can see great representation in the media and in entertainment and so on but you're not really seeing that as much yet in Asia and across Africa you're still you know there's a real kind of dichotomy there and that's what we kind of want to explore and expose as well and really you know a lot of people are talking about mental health too now so we definitely want to focus in on how that relates to all of this because that's the big component as well the pressures that people feel so yeah I think all of that's to come I think what we've launched with is a great scene set and you know launched into the issue but now there's so much more to explore (laughs) in just a, a matter of months so hopefully we do it.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the other episodes. I've only I only watched the first one, but I do want to check out the rest. Like I said, you know, at the very beginning, this is a subject that I I was tangentially aware of, but the more you learn about it, the more you understand it culturally, and you know, the negative aspects of it, and how how it sort of ties in with so many other things that are, other things that are being talked about right now, in our culture. It seems like this, yeah, this should be something that everybody should be aware of.
1: I feel like you will probably notice it more. Like when I watch TV shows now, I'm kind of, I'm looking and I'm very aware of when there are more darker skinned people, which is great. And you know, and whether, when there's not enough or when there's good representation, like you just notice everything.
0: I know obviously our podcast does not have the, the reach that CNN International has, although we do have an international audience and there are a lot of journalists across the US who listen to us and would probably be very interested in, you know, is this a story that they could do locally? And if they wanted to, where would you point them?
1: I mean, I think they really can, if they're interested in this, pretty much any community, like ethnic minority community, diaspora of, you know, most groups in the US and the UK, it's there, you know, like, for example, I live in London, and by working in this series, I found out that there was this whole kind of campaign against skin whitening products in this specific borough in London and um, and that council it's a local council but they're actually one of the most active authorities in terms of you know raiding stores and taking action against people selling these products of any globally and so that's just like that's a small borough in London but it's because they've got a community there using these products and the Beautywell project that's based in Minnesota So that works with communities there. I know there are U.S. state departments in like California, Minnesota, New York, who are looking at this issue as well. Yeah, I think if anyone is interested in reporting on it, they can probably find it quite close to home.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure that one of the reasons they're doing it in Minnesota is because they have such a large, I think it's Indian Pakistani population there, or Afghan, actually. But anyway, I mean, this is if for nothing else, is to, you know, raise awareness of colorism and to bring bring this issue forward so that more people are aware of it. And then, you know, like you're trying to accomplish that getting people talking and understanding that this is a a problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, that's kind of what we're supposed to be doing with our jobs, I guess. So have you looked beyond this project? Have you thought about any other areas in, in global health that you want to be covering?
1: This has only been running for a month now. So the idea is that, with As Equals anyway, we're going to have another series next year as well. We're still identifying that. But the idea is that we will kind of keep picking these issues that are globally affecting, you know, populations everywhere, but in different ways in order to expose the different kind of issues and regional differences and so on. So there is definitely scope to do more because, you know, everything... Relating to kind of as equals, gender equality, I, these buckets I mentioned around care and body and climate, you know, they've all got this health and science component to them, as well as the gender issue that unfortunately spans everything. But so one thing kind of I'm really passionate about as well is, well, two things. So I've, I'm also passionate about global health in terms of infectious diseases. So obviously, we're all living through a pandemic now. But prior to the pandemic, I wrote a book about infectious diseases. And that kind of looked at, it was through my research before on, you know, diseases that are affecting communities on this massive level, for example, tuberculosis, as I mentioned, I was researching that. But, you know, before COVID, that was the leading infectious killer globally, It still killed millions of people worldwide. Most people, if you ask them, didn't think existed anymore, or they thought there was a vaccine against it. But neither of those is true. The other issue is obesity and everything relating to that. So diabetes, heart conditions. It's something that, again, kind of you see the same headlines on it in terms of it getting worse, numbers going up. But actually, like the human stories there and the differences that people can make by actually knowing more about them is huge. And that's something kind of I'm really keen to continue. And I have been doing that through my reporting, both of those areas to date. I think a lot of people don't quite realise how different health issues either relate to them or affect them or affect things on a very global level so there's definitely scope to kind of focus in more but I think you know the problem is it's always the resources and the time for most people to dedicate this kind of time to something so we are quite lucky with series like As Equals where there is you know funding from the gates foundation to allow a team of journalists to focus in on issues and bring them to light
0: yeah there are a lot of journalists who were probably not doing a lot of health reporting until the the pandemic hit and then many of them just covered it like they would cover politics so and maybe not cover it like a health issue and the impact that it had on on people's lives anecdotally my um, my mother's father died of tb in the 1930s
1: oh really
0: yeah uh, so something's been around it's come and gone you know, as you said, it's not disappeared in some people, some parts of the world, it's still an an issue. What advice would you give to somebody who wanted to go into health, global health uh, reporting?
1: Oh, I mean, so sometimes I think I focused in on it maybe a bit too much. You know, there are a lot of really good global health journalists out there who haven't had training in specifically in like, Global health and don't have a master's degree in it. So I think it's more just if it's a beat you like and you're really interested in it, just focus in. I guess with most areas, that if you wanted to make it your beat, you would get the contacts and get your sources and keep up to date and have conversations about what's going on. Like if you did then study it, it helps because I feel like I'm familiar with most areas of health. When I first started at CNN, the health team was quite different then. It kind of covered everything so it covered health science and environment so everything relating to science basically came through the health team all the science and it was yeah you know you know what it's like one of the main points of my job actually at the time was to make everyone across our bureaus aware of where health and science intersected because I think most people always just thought of it prior to the pandemic anyway as you know all oh, this studies come out about chocolate and heart disease, let's ask the health team about it. But the more and more I kind of got people to think about it, I would make them realise that, no, you know, this story on depression of migrants here, you know, that's actually a health story. This story about, you know, maternal health in, you know, another population or even education and the mental health around that and development. I kind of wanted people to see that health and science actually intersect so many areas. And like, even like you just said, political stories, a lot of them have science and health components too, depending on the issue and vice versa. So yeah, I think prior to the pandemic, people kind of pigeonholed health and science, but now they've realised that actually transcends and crosses into everything
0: this has really been a fascinating conversation i really appreciate you coming on the podcast i recommend to everybody to check this out well obviously we're going to be sharing the uh the link to this what, what's the name of your book can people still get your book if they're interested
1: oh yes they can it's called outbreaks and epidemics battling infections from measles to coronavirus
0: <laughs> okay well mira thank you for coming on the podcast this was a great conversation
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been great.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe speaking of subscribing you can subscribe to our podcast on apple podcasts podcast one spotify soundcloud google play and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found if you'd like to help us grow our podcast like and share our episodes on social media look for us on facebook instagram and twitter it takes a lot of people to create an episode of it's all journalism nicola grisco produced this episode amber healy wrote our web content nick capre wrote our theme music Amen obrust help with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager and I'm your host Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.